The organ is how I'm going to respond to binary questions. So, so for the fans out there, we can edit this in. If you hear this, that means yes. If you hear this, that means no. <laughs> Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm, the only podcast where every week is a brand new concept. I'm your producer, Ben, accompanied by your director, Matt. And Matt, are you feeling good today? I feel so good, I feel three-dimensional. Matt, I literally just set you up. I, that didn't feel like a that didn't feel like a truly binary question. Man, I just sapped me of all of my energy. Um <laughs> Welcome to Fourth Times the Time. <laughs> Where we emotionally damage Ben. One That's right. one episode at the time, one episode at a time. And this is episode I believe 46. Yeah. We're, uh, we're coming up quick on the 1 year anniversary. Uh quick shout out to our biggest fan Mason. No, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. no, no, no. 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 You are dead wrong. The the qualification for biggest fan requires direct interaction through the Instagram in a timed manner. And the individual who engaged with us with the correct passcode in time was Mr. Brennan. Brennan wow. has staked I haven't heard from Mason in two weeks. Wow. I have I have heard multiple responses from the great wow. and the noble Brennan, not from the the slacker that is Mason. You know, he says, you know, I got a Brennan says he's up for the competition. He's up for it. He's ready. So Mason, if you're listening, it, with, with as our old biggest fan you should be you gotta you gotta get there before brennan does i you got gotta time stamps. step up or you gotta go to northern ireland boom that's the message boom that that is the message of the podcast and if you would like to be our biggest fan this week please use the code elevated oh i'm so glad you said that <laughs> on instagram or, or somewhere where we can see it where we can interact with you. With that said, Matt, I want to ask you something. What's your favorite thing you ate this week? Oh, so last night I went to a great Chicago restaurant called Dusex, um, which is a fantastically fun place and uh, very well known for being fancy. I had some delicious pork schnitzel. Now, mm. that was going to be my best food I've eaten this week, but... Afterwards, on the recommendation of some of my friends from 10th Planet Chicago, I went and got tacos at what is now both myself and Taryn's favorite taco in all of Chicago. Um, It was from a... I'm going to butcher this, and I apologize. Um, Tortilla y Taqueria Atotonlico. It is, uh, it is at 1635 West Blue Avenue in Chicago, Illinois, in the neighborhood of Pilsen. And let me tell you, I got a barbacoa taco, and I got an Alpor store taco. And Ben, they were devastatingly good. These Devastatingly were, good. These tacos were better than the burritos we ate after we left Delilah's. To be fair, those were like... I, I don't even know if I enjoyed that burrito. That was like a desperation burrito. Yeah, I did but it not was eat worth that it. to enjoy it. I yeah. ate it to avoid death. 
to me sometimes those those are the most important burritos well well i am i am i'm salivating at the mouth man so so ben then tell me what the number one food you ate this week was Uh, yeah ask ask a good question get a genuine response you better have an answer Someone's eating rice and boneless, skinless chicken breast this week. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> Am I wrong? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, so yesterday we did a balsamic chicken with a garlic balsamic like vegetable medley. But there wasn't rice with it because I cooked like three pounds of roasted vegetables. Okay. So then we had paninis on Sunday, and then on Thursday, what did I cook? Uh, ah, I made chicken shawarma again with your lovely sure. shawarma seasoning that you gifted me. You're welcome. Yeah, it's like I'm in New York. Um, uh, last week was a pretty quiet week for cooking, but how about I do this? This weekend on Sunday... We are making a short rib chili with pickled red onions. Oh, you better hope that comes out well. It looks absolutely delightful. And then, uh, where's the uh, recipe from? Hmm. What's the origin of the recipe? Food and Wine Magazine. Do you use Food and Wine Magazine at all? From time to time, yeah. Like not the website though. Not the website, but the actual physical magazine. I don't buy magazines okay i i get gifted to me (laughs) okay um but food and wine magazine is so much better than the website the website's fine they have good recipes on there but the recipes actually in the magazine are crazy because they're really inventive unique and they're more complicated but not complicated to the point where you're like like beef wellington complex well, if you are a fan of Fourth Times the Charm and you want to support my cooking and my participation with the Food and Wine magazine, if you message me Salad Fingers, I'll send you a, an address to a P.O. box so you can set up a subscription for me to Food and Wine magazine. There's a challenge for our fans out there. Brennan, Mason, who really loves me? Man, that's... If we don't have a Patreon, at least I can get a magazine <laughs> subscription out of this, okay? That was so many steps, Matt. What? Yeah, because fandom requires dedication. Ben, I was a part of an ARG on YouTube that required up to seven plus hours of decoding and frame-by-frame scanning of a you YouTube know, video. up to seven hours means it could have been as much as five minutes, right? theoretically but that wouldn't have been possible no one in the group was that smart so i man ever since you got that organ matt you've changed yeah i agree well ben i know you're looking forward to a wonderful meal i have something i'm looking forward to not this weekend but canonically the weekend afterwards in relation to our release schedule uh in chicago if you're gonna be here there is the amazing annual moon runners festival This is a folk punk and American bluegrass festival that happens every year at Reggie's Chicago. And it is the 10-year anniversary. So if you're a fan out there and I'm going to see you there, let me know. We'll take a picture together while we enjoy some sad boy folk music. But now we're going to go to a very different kind of festival. 
we're gonna go to the festival of finding ben cue the music than a man being chased by a time cube. It's Ben and Matt's Festival of Findings, a celebration of the odd, obscure, underappreciated, and best forgotten video games, movies, and media of your. I am your host, the dynamite dozen magic man of the hour, Ben, wow. and I am joined by my man, the Wednesday Night Widowmaker, it's Matt. Matt, what is going on? I got an organ. <laughs> I am here. I am feeling good. I have, in that intro, Ben, I was reminded that Fourth Times the Charm has basically just become Festival of Finding, but with a more circuitous route to the end product. And that makes me happy. <laughs> Just because, especially because we're talking about 1997's Cube, a movie all about circuitous routes to an ending that we already reached. Now, Ben, what can you tell me about this wonderful, devilish, and incredible film? It's really good. Um, Excellent! We talked about Cube 2021 last week, and we touched on the whole Cube series outside of Cube. Watching Cube 2021 made us love the old cube series more so, and so much more we we wanted to just talk about cube for the yeah. next few weeks well so we we did in our festival of findings podcast and some people out there have mentioned enjoying these episodes and thank you for that uh we covered john carpenter's apocalypse trilogy which is a a set of three films all centered around the idea of the world ending and we thought that we could bring you another uh trilogy of our own based on the original franchise trilogy of the Cube series. Um, These are movies that Ben and I, as we mentioned last week, have deep connections to um, just when it comes to our friendship. And in film in general, this movie was a big impact in the late 90s. Um, And it has some very, very interesting facts about it through its development and its release. Um, So we wanted to bring you a deep dive into each of those films, talking about their production, the reception, and what those films are. There's a ton of reviews out there of Cube 1997, so we want to bring you more than just a synopsis of the plot. Because if you're listening to this, you've seen it, and if you haven't seen it, we hope this episode kind of makes you excited to find the messages itself. And we want to talk about everything that led up to the creation of this film. And then that'll lead us into our following two episodes where we dive into the aftermath of the original Cube in 1997. Now, Ben, can you describe to our our guests what it was like that first night, that first time you saw Cube? Uh, I I don't know if I can, if I can accurately like describe that, Matt, for multiple reasons. Um, But it, it was... It's, uh, it was intoxicating. Yeah, it was a, there's, there's a few moments in your life where you're like, I, seminal, seminal. If I had to choose a word for it, it is seminal because it was a real seminal, 
cinematic night watching moment. that movie that that I think really helped open my eyes to a world of film that I had always yep. been sort of tangentially linked to, but I'd never super dive deep into yeah. because at the time I grew up watching movies with my parents constantly, but they were always like the sci-fi channel, like yeah, D you movies. Kn- yeah. You knew like B and C movies plus like slasher classics. Like when yeah. I, when I, like when I met you, I remember distinctly, I was like, if I had to categorize early Ben by his visual watching habits, it was pro wrestling horrifically under poorly made sci-fi including star trek and uh the movies what the that fuck man including the movies that you would see what the on fuck was that about sci- what star trek's terrible um but you Based also on what give me one legitimate reason why star trek's terrible i i Baz... know that you're leading me on here but i want an actual legitimate reason here uh be, to me to me it, it presents a world that is really terrifying and the CGI is bad in the original show. Okay, first off, the original show doesn't have CGI. Yeah, secondly, that's why it's bad. Secondly, Props it does portray a terrifying world, and that's what makes it good. See, they, they don't address that enough in a way that make at least until later, later franchises. Well, the later franchises are where it gets fucked up. Well, yes, but the world's depressing and terrifying from the very beginning. But Matt, the world in general is depressing and terrifying. The whole point of Star Trek isn't that it's in a universe that's terrible and depressing. It's that it's a moment in time. It's a false utopia. It's not, though. It's far from it. And it's not as good as Star Wars. (sighs) Okay, I am not falling for this anymore. (laughs) You you went too deep. You, 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 You push your luck too much. Yes. Well, to get back to the point, Ben was a big fan of sci-fi, a big fan of horror. And Ben and I kind of connected over our love of wrestling and horror and sci-fi and generally just also both being kind of weird. I, on the other hand, while also a huge fan of B-horror movies, some B-horror movies, but primarily slashers, um, have always been a big fan of more artsy kind of uh, movies that don't make you feel good while you're watching them necessarily um that are pushing the boundaries of horror because i would go to blockbuster and i would rent everything because my dad let me check out rated r movies and the people who worked at blockbuster also were cool with me renting rated r movies because i was there all the time and so occasionally they'd i'd get some weird like early to mid 90s pocket picks from the employees there and back in probably let's say 2004 to 2006 was when I discovered the Cube franchise, specifically the original Cube. I didn't end up watching Hypercube until about high, I think until uh, high school um, in like 2008, 2009 is when I eventually saw Cube, Hypercube and Cube Zero. Um, but this, yeah, I really think this is kind of what got you, got you to bite the bullet on all the weird horror movies I liked more so than the other experiences. Yeah, because Cube is a very basic movie Mm -hmm. cube is a sci-fi movie that follows the rules of horror yep and so yeah it's it's the perfect blend yeah it's um honestly in that vein it's very similar to like the first 80 percent of arrival 
Yeah. Before it gets to like the last three scenes where they just explain absolutely everything you could possibly ask about what's happening. And then it gets sort of inception-y. But I mean, it's still a good movie. But like in the way that there's so many unknowns and like there's other stuff going on. But what's really important is like this small isolated group of people. Well, yeah. And and how they're interacting with this complete unknown and figuring out what rules it has yeah it's you're you're meant to not understand the world around you um and yeah that's it's like cloverfield or like 10 cloverfield lane where the like you said the most important thing that's happening in the whole world is this tiny little thing but the film manages to present a massive universe for you to watch and like kind of play in mentally speaking Man, I forgot about Tin Cloverfield Lane. That's a really good movie that I feel like not enough people watched. Yeah, because 100%. it's associated with Cloverfield. Well, and the first one was good, and then Tin Cloverfield, and then they did like two more because it was originally supposed to be a whole like Cloverfield verse. Um, and they yes. did they Nef- I think they did a straight to Netflix Cloverfield movie, which was very clearly yeah, that's, that's the one. I I don't know if I ever talked about this like on the podcast. But that was, I think, the Cloverfield Paradox. Yes, it was. Yeah, so it's called. Which, before that, I read the script yes, that yeah. they bought to turn into a Cloverfield movie. And the original script was terrible also. And it was it was actually worse than the final product, where in the original script, instead of it being aliens, it's people are trapped on a ship. They think they are transported to another galaxy which they're not is the big spoiler. But then they're attacked by a group of evil Europeans because America (laughs) is at war with the entirety of Europe and Russia, which like that makes sense. Especially now sounds so stupid. Yeah. I mean, even (laughs) then it sounded stupid, but like now it's stupid, stupid, stupid. Um, but yeah, I I don't. I, this is a tangent, but I have honestly Cloverfield compared to Cube is a perfect dichotomy of like one movie series having a good start and doing everything wrong, mm-hmm. and another one just somehow getting everything right. Like I if I was thinking about this while you were talking, Cube might be one of the best horror trilogies of all time. I can't oh, think of oh. I well think about it. How many other sets of three movies in a franchise is this consistent? Because I just rewatched Hypercube over the weekend, and Hypercube's even better than I originally remembered it being. I got I I mean Evil Dead. But, evil Dead, <laughs> Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. I I suppose, but I think Cube's more inventive one. And two, like you don't need the first evil dead in that trilogy. Cause they just redo it all with a bigger budget. I mean, for sure. someone like you or me. Yeah, sure. Blade, the blade trilogy. But... <laughs> right. Exactly. It goes straight down. I'm, I'm looking at, I'm trying to look up trilogies here and yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the fly one and two, um, into, uh, that's a pretty good one. Apparently, there's three Ginger Snaps movies, which is hilarious. 
The Grunge, terrible. The Hills Have Eyes, another bad trilogy. Ho- the Hostile trilogy is, de- is very consistent, not necessarily very good. Right. Yeah, I think I think you I think you hit the nail on the head in, here, Ben. I'm in, looking Insidious? at Insidious. I think there's more than three. Uh, there's sure, the Jeepers like, Creepers just... trilogy. Yeah, trust me, you don't want to watch three if you if you've avoided it. Most most um, of these movies really go off the rails after the first I movie. Mean, I mean, even like a Nightmare on Elm Street, which is like our popcorn series. Yeah, I don't think there's three movies in a row that match cube i mean they're sillier and they're funnier one one is a perfect movie so that's a 10 out of 10 nightmare on elm street 2 is like a 5 out of 10 and it gets an extra point for just how goddamn wild and weird it it is three is like another 9 out of 10 four is incredible and then it completely goes off the rails yeah except freddy's dead which freddy's dead is the most underrated movie in that franchise Some, except for the ending somehow they, it's hated i don't know why anyone dislikes if, I, I tell dead. you Matt, if they take freddy's dead and put the ending of uh dream child in it yes that would have been the perfect end oh yeah that would have like bomb boom yeah it would have been yeah but Freddy's Dead has the same ending as the first movie, except for this time they used dynamite. So stupid. If you, anyway. if you if if you consider the Apocalypse trilogy a trilogy, that's the greatest horror trilogy of all time. Sure, but I don't. I don't even think John Carpenter would. He is. He's the one who called it the Apocalypse trilogy. But I don't. I I don't think he'd be like, yeah, the sequel to the thing is. Yeah, true, Prince true. of Darkness. Big true. Yeah. All right. Well, let's 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 reel it back in here. And let's jump into the movie that we're here to talk about today, Cube 1997. Uh, for those who don't know after this extensive preamble, um, Cube, uh, Cube is a Canadian science fiction horror movie uh, written and co-directed and co-written by Vincenzo Natale, um, a, a production of the Canadian Film Center, which has actually played a big part in it actually getting the funding it needed to build it, uh, to build its sets. Uh, is a movie about seven individuals trapped in a bizarre and deadly labyrinth of cube-shaped rooms. Now, Cube, at its release, was not a very big movie, but like people like Ben and I discovered it as time went on, and it had a big, big, big um, love and reception. But I think what's very important about the Cube franchise and about what Cube became is it all came from the mind of one man who wanted to make a movie where a bunch of people were trapped in hell and never escaped. And that man was the director of this film and the co-writer, Vincenzo Natale. Um, In 1990, Vincenzo came up with this idea for a movie called, uh, that was going to be set entirely in hell, but he didn't really do anything with it. In 1994, he was a storyboard artist and he worked on a couple movies and he finally competed a script for Cube. Now, if you're a storyboard artist in Canada in 1994, you're not getting a movie, even a very small budget film made. So he tried to get this very, at what at the time was a massive movie. And it's in all thought. It was all, everyone was trapped in the cube, but the cube was actually hell. And everyone, uh, everyone dies and no one escapes. Um, and it was actually a writing friend, and I believe the individual has the second writing credit on the movie, 
made uh, Vincenzo basically take the entire script and beat it down to its very core concept and then make that the uh, original uh, film. And one thing I find really fascinating about the original production for this movie is that it was originally supposed to have all of the characters in the film be different accountants um, and have like them being accountants be an important part of the movie um, because it was some kind of narrative on who would be in hell uh, by Vincenzo. Uh, the movie continued to develop, but before that, um, Vincenzo could get the movie made and financed by the Canadian film people, um, he had to make a short film to try to get his uh, his film made. Uh, this is a common practice, and we saw it from some of our uh, previous interviewees and some of our previous episodes, like movies like Lunch Ladies, uh, is mm. made to try to get a longer film made. And now, before there was Cube, there was Ben... What movie are we about to talk about? The Elevator. It's called Elevated. Elevated. (laughs) Elevated is a 1996 short film directed by Vincenzo. Um, And so, Ben, what did we we found this? This is actually free on YouTube. If you type in uh, Elevated 1996, uh, there's a great YouTube channel called Famous First Films, um, which has a lot of amazing. Uh, short films and early films from directors um, and writers that became famous. Um, this is a quick 20 minute, basically just 17 minutes prior to the credits short film. Ben, can you tell our wonderful listeners about this absolutely excellent short film? Yeah, it's, it's very much like if you wanted to make cube, but had absolutely no money. It's a story of a woman in an office building who gets in the elevator and shares it with a strange-looking uh, older man. Named Ben. Named Ben. Hey. <laughs> and they are heading down towards the basement. All of a sudden, on a floor, it stops, opens, and a man scrambles in, covered hey. in blood. He works at the company and he overrides the elevator and starts heading towards the roof. And he starts rambling madness about how there's something killing people on the bottom floors and that they need to get up to the roof. Hence the start of the movie. And then we see what follows. And funnily enough, this uh, this individual uh, who comes in, his name is Hank in the film, is the head security officer of the building. He is actually paid by David Hewlett, who is an incredible modern actor known for his roles in Shape of Water, Rise of the Planet of the Eighty Apes. Uh, he played Dr. Rodney McKay in, Star- in Stargate Atlantis. But to Ben and I, oh my he God, will he always... did, didn't he? Wow. Yes, he did. Uh, for to Ben and I, he will always be known by one role, and that role is as Worth in the future film Cube. Um, him and Vincenzo have been friends for a long time, so this apparently is part of what helped get this maybe movie made. Um, Elevated, yeah. Elevated is like the like as you said, Ben, the perfect kind of encapsulation of what Cube with even less money would have looked like if it was made to then get Cube made. Um, yeah, the the basic story is relatively similar, and you see a lot of the same themes that are found in Cube. Mm-hmm. You have a sense of claustrophobia. You have uh, 
interesting use of light and darkness. Mm-hmm. The cinematography uh, is also very good. Yeah, um, very, very tight cinematography, right? Like, very intense. And... Same cinematographer for both films, by the way. Yeah, and just the way it's paced is very strong, where at first you have the conflict of a bloody man runs into the elevator and essentially hijacks it. Mm -hmm. Then the, the, I I think the elevator goes out, the lights go out on it, and Ben suffers from claustrophobia, so he starts freaking out. Finally... The door opens on one of the random floors, and Ben gets out. It's a, it's on a floor thirty nine. Floor thirty nine. Thank you. The woman then takes the key card from Hank and tries heading down to the basement. And uh, but then and, and someone... it goes from there. He ends up encouraging her because they hear something on the roof of the elevator. That's actively to... trying to break in. Yes, actively trying to break in. He encourages her to uh, reverse the direction of the elevator and jam it straight to the top to crush whatever is on top of them. She ends up doing so, and oh my god, it's Ben. Oh no! So Ben's a bloody dead mess. (coughs) She has a rage and stabs uh, Hank to death repeatedly. Which is brutal. She ends up at the basement where... More people flood into the elevator, being chased by some unknown monstrous entity that's tearing people apart. Yeah, so it, it shows that what Hank was saying was true, but it also begins to imply um, the kind of underlying like hell torture kind of realm of death that is permeates the Cube franchise. Um, even in elevated, the way the the scene is shot with all of the people running into the elevator is very like mystical. Like it comes across not necessarily like they're all running from a building, but as if they are actually trapped in a like in hell or in some kind of like demonic world, and they must escape. And it's like they're yeah. running out of purgatory um, or trying to run out of hell, only to end up back where they would with no real escape, just like they do in. Just like the original intention of the movie Cube had. Yeah, it's uh, the entire Cube franchise is always hell adjacent, except no. for Cube 2021, which is like heaven. Look, there's an angel right here. Yeah. Do you not get it? It's Do a you comu- not get it? It's a computer angel, too. It's a computer Fuck angel. That movie. I, I, I hate that movie with each day. I hate it more with each passing day. Uh, whereas with Elevated, it's the the way they interact with the elevator makes it feel like it is the difference between heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. So like, and, and, and there's a deep meta commentary where if you want to look into it that deep, you can get out of it where Hank races in, he's trying to escape from hell. And he goes, we got to get to the roof. Because the roof is heaven. Wink, Mm. wink. (laughs) Then you have the woman and Ben who are are undecided. Because they're Mm. leaving the offices, which, you know, metaphor for purgatory. And then they can choose. Do they go up to the top? Or do they head downstairs into hell? And so Ben 
chooses purgatory. Yep. And then when he tries to get on top of the elevator, I don't know if there's like a monster there too or what, he ends up suffering for it. But I feel like the real focus is the woman Mm -hmm. who she's given the choice to go up to heaven or to go down to hell. And she stabs him. And that's when she fully goes down into hell. I think another way you could look at it is that when Ben tries to get back into the elevator and they crush him, Mm -hmm. that could also be a metaphor of like, okay, you can choose purgatory or you can choose hell, but no matter what you do, like you can't break through into heaven. There's no escape. Yeah, there's no escape. So there's a few ways of looking at it. But I just love the inventiveness of it and using an everyday object, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's horror, yeah. Right? Is 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 taking something that you use every day or something that you experience every day and finding a way to make it eerie or make it scary or make it foreign to you. Like that's what's so cool about this short. And I think that's that's also what's very very cool about the movie Cube in, in general. Um, and I think what is, I think we all have to say thank you to Andre Bijelic, who was uh, Vincenzo's roommate when he was writing Cube. And I, I think when we see how pared down and simple Elevated is, it, it shows us how potentially bad or weird the original ideas that uh, Vincenzo had for Cube would have been. Um, in the original drafts, an initial draft for the movie, uh, it was kind of comedic with like a satire tone. Uh, it was super surreal. People were eating each other. There was edible moss growing on the walls of the cube and a monster that was roaming through the cube, kind of like the Minotaur in uh, Greek mythology. And they eventually were able to pare all of that down. They completely removed any scenes from outside of the cube they make the fact that there isn't food and water a big part to create that urgency and that kind of intensity that you also get in Elevated and just take everything back and leave you with simply what is. And I think Elevated is a, per- a beautiful example of that where you never see the monster, you never really know what's doing it. Um, and a big problem with the current with current horror is they rely far too much on the monster because you need a brand, you need a, you need a symbol to sell your product. The only real monster in, in Cube is the people in Cube. If yeah. you if you look at the kill count, you only actually see, I think, two, maybe three people in the entire movie actually killed by traps. Almost everyone else is killed by people's direct interactions with them, not the Cube itself. It's two or three, I think. I, I think but, only... But I, yeah, very minimal. Uh, and, and honestly, I feel... And I mean, this is where we, you know head into uh fan theory territory Mm -hmm. right the most important but watching through cube and especially comparing it with cube zero that we'll talk about in the future i feel like the traps aren't the point of it no by cube zero it becomes i think pretty clear that the point and purpose of the cube is Mm -hmm. seeing how the people interact with each other because in every single movie the traps lessen in appearance as the movie goes on. I mean, Hypercube, there's only like two traps to begin with. So you can yeah. 
but that's sort of its own thing to begin with. But cube and cube zero, there's tons of traps to start. And then as the people start to wear on each other, the traps go away. Yeah, because they're not important anymore. Yeah, and I mean, I know that they learn to avoid them also, mm-hmm. but but it, I, I feel like, uh, well, in Cube Zero, they said, you know, hey, you have to man the traps, right? Yeah, you have to control. Well, they don't so man, like they, they can... don't necessarily man the traps. They just like let them happen. Yeah, but it, it's still, it's not about the traps. It's about how the people react to each other. Yeah. And one of my favorite things with the franchise is that, except for Cube Twenty Twenty One. Every single one has, everyone fills their roles. Mm -hmm. There's the engineer. There's the strong guy who can't handle pressure. There's the understanding woman. There's the savant. And each of them is built at least close to the same way. Well, so so ben in in researching the um the production of this movie and the writing of it um one thing that i found very interesting about these seven characters and about the character traits you named about them um they were actually named after important prisons from around the world and the individuals represent their characteristics are representative of that individual Wow. Um, Kazan is a Russian prison for the mentally ill. Um, Rene, uh, Renz, uh, which means the mentor in French, is a jail that, that inspired most of today's modern prison policy because it was a response to people escaping. Um, Quentin, um, the, the, the detective, San and Quentin. San Quentin is known for its brutality and its strength. Um, Holloway was a woman's only prison in England. Um, Alderson is a prison where isolation is a common punishment. Uh, Levensworth, um, which is run on a rigid set of rules and schedules and is laid out mathematically, hint Levin's math ability. And the new prison um, is uh, corporately owned and built, which is Worth Prison, who is the individual who corporately works for the people who designed the cube. And wow. so each of them not only serves a unique role job-wise, but are each representations of real-world versions that are partially inspired what um, uh, Vincenzo himself was seeing in the world. Man, that's wild. I never knew that. I didn't, I, I never, I never knew this. There's so many layers to Cube. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, and this is going to get real fucking nerdy for, for everyone out there. Nerd warning. Um, the Cube itself was actually designed by a, a professional and like uh, like well-known mathematician, David W. Pravika. Um, the, the cube itself is actually detailedly made exactly as they presented it in the film. It consists of an outer uh, cubical shell, the sarcophagus, and an inner cube. Each side of the outer shell is 434 feet uh, large, and the inner cube consists of 26 cubed cubicle rooms which is 17,576 rooms wow minus one to allow for movement and each of them is distinctly laid out where every single coordinate and piece of math done in the movie is completely accurate um and very and funnily enough um the uh levin uh the actress who played levin whose name 
is uh, Nicole DeBoer uh, is is famous for saying in an interview she did for this movie they actually actually failed math um, has zero idea what she was doing in the movie um, but thankfully gets that across pretty well. Um, what that she doesn't know what she's doing? No, that she actually knows what she's doing. She she I think she plays it pretty well. Yeah, I agree. It's um, Cube straddles a very fine line that. Mm-hmm most movies and i i feel like one of hypercube's few failings does this where it keeps hope alive throughout the movie there's a in chance what, in, in what in most movies feels like an utterly hopeless mm, situation endeavor. where it's you're you're trapped in a cube connecting to cubes and you're starving to death and mm-hmm. they're booby trapped and you hate everyone you're with like like, how is there supposed to be any sign of hope? And yet, in Cube, they manage to make that happen just with these tenuous I, relationships that are built. And I think that a big part of that hope, in a way, comes from Kazan. Well, I think it's I think the hope comes from two things. It's it's the fact that Kazan is still alive, so you have a chance. But it's also because that they hold back and don't show you the outside world. When... If you had started the Cube franchise with Cube Zero, the movie would have no tension. Dead it, franchise. Huh? Yeah, dead franchise. It, it, it's dead on arrival with Cube Zero starting it. Because knowing anything about the outside world instantly removes any sense that succeeding becomes possible. The fact that we don't know makes us both hopeful that hopeful that the uh, the characters in the movie will survive... We are hopeful because we think, oh, well, there's no way they're not going to show us what's outside the cube at this point. And we also are desperate to know what this wild, uh, bigger world is, which I think when we get into Hypercube and Cube Zero, we'll see is that someone watched Cube and really wanted to know what was outside of the world. So they just kind of showed us (laughs) eventually uh, because they wanted those questions answered. Now, taking a step back, I want to talk a bit about the production of Cube itself. Now, Cube was shot in only 20 days, quick and dirty, $350,000 budget. So this movie had to be made quickly. It had to be made promptly. But Which today, that's probably somewhere in the ballpark of like seven hundred grand, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, even then, less than a mil. And you can, it's difficult to make a movie for less than a million right now, unless you're doing like very, very indie stuff. Um, One of the biggest aspects of that uh, financial restriction was getting the cube itself built, which I think is a lot of the money. Um, They only made, we mentioned this in our, in our last episode, they only made one cube fully, one full cube and one partial cube for doing certain shots. Um, But the gel paneling and lighting of the cube itself was so expensive and so time-consuming. They had to shoot the film out of order, um, and they had they when they in, were building the cube and testing the lights, they installed the red panels first, um, which which meant well, I guess they were filming all the scenes in the red room. So when uh, Vincenzo was laying out the movie, he had to sequence it out, and I think his time as a storyboard artist really helped this color by color. And the uh, the actors themselves actually reported that just like in the movie where the where the characters go in the movie doesn't the colors have nothing to do with the traps. 
The colors have to do with the emotions and the interactions of the character, which Cube 2021 takes a big shit on by having the rooms change color when people well, get they emotional. they take it too literally. It's yeah. like they read that note and they're like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, it's fucking infuriating. Um, but I think it's really fascinating that they did that. They had to film the movie that way because it really shows how, I mean, how good the actors are, especially David Hewlett, because they had to film Worth's big There Is No Conspiracy speech where he screams at Holloway. Like, that was like the third thing they filmed. Man, that's wild. And like, it really doesn't feel like it either. Yeah. And, fu- and weirdly enough, I didn't realize this initially. I, I went back and, and kind of clicked through the movie today. Um, almost all of the heaviest dialogue is all done in the red rooms. Um, so they got all of the dialogue in like big interaction shots out of the way first thing. And they were able to just like brute force their way through the next 19, probably a couple days of the movie. Um, ben, I mean, go ahead. Having having been on uh, on film sets, that's always the best way to go. Yeah. Is start with like, the big long stuff first and then just change the I feel like small it gets setups. it gets the characters in the headset um and it funnily the other funny thing was that since the film was originally intended to be shot in in, in uh chronological order a big issue with that was that the handles on all the latches are actually industrial die holders uh that are used for cutting thread on rods and you can buy them at any hardware store but when they built the cube, they didn't work, uh, and they kept breaking. And there's a there's a report from set when they were filming it the first time, the door opened and it actually made the rush of air sound. The shot was ruined because all of the people in production started laughing because um, they were they were so surprised and happy that it worked, uh, which also kind of forced them to film it out of order, which I think actually does help. Um, I think it actually really does kind of help the production that, like you said, when I mean, it was filmed that I mean, way. It worked, if nothing else. Yeah. The I, I feel like one of the big things, and we mentioned this last week, but we haven't touched on it here. I, one of the big things that gives Cube its character is the mm-hmm. acting. Oh, yeah. Everyone in the movie's good. Somehow. The, everyone is good in, like, a weird way. Yeah. Like, everyone tries so hard like you can tell everyone is into it Mm -hmm. and yet they don't really react to things the way you'd imagine people would like quentin is an absolute bizarre psychopath see for me for me i see it the other way i feel like this is how a lot outside of just breaking down and losing it i think these people do because they try to force things back to order they try to make the world what they wanted and do their own thing and I think you kind of see them like the, the outside cultural influence is kind of worn out of them as the movie goes on, especially Quentin because Quentin goes fucking insane, but it leads credence to the notion that all of these people might be in here for a reason. Like, I don't think you're putting normal people in the cube, even worth the guy who's this crazy mass um, engineer is like extremely depressed and like suicidal and like, doesn't care about the world. You know, each of them has, like, their own kind of mind trick to it. Like, Holloway, who comes across as just a doctor at the beginning of the movie, or a nurse, turns out to be a psychotic conspiracy theorist who thinks the Illuminati and Big Brother's running the world. But you don't see that out of her until the cube wears away all of her all of her protections, all of her shields to make herself feel safe and normal, until everything comes out. Really, the only pure 
person in the whole movie is Kazan. And I guess uh, the Renz, Renz is pretty normal. He doesn't really go crazy. He just is a criminal. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I think it's a really good mix of just combustible elements. Yeah, it's the right, it's the perfect people, which we find out later in Cube Zero that they do this on purpose. They kind of push certain groups of people together so that certain things have to happen. This movie is designed like a really good video game mm-hmm. in that there's so little, but everything builds on top of itself. This is like the Bloomin' Onion Yes. Of movies. Yes, it is. Uh, here's my question, Matt. Okay. Is that if you would have changed anything about this movie, what would you have changed? I really, I wouldn't change anything. Um, I would change things about Hypercube and Cube Zero. Um, but this movie, I think, hits it right on the head. I think as a the viewer I am now, the movie that I would want out of like a modern version of Cube is either something like the platform or if you're going to go darker and more intense than the platform, I think you go with um, uh, Vincenzo's original idea and make it like a really make it in hell. Like let it sink into at least the audience that these people are trapped in hell and they'll never escape. Um, I feel like if you did a movie like a Minotaur maze, yeah, I mean, that's it's just, as big as the cubes and is loaded with booby traps. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, I think you could do a really like is the I think here's the big problem, though. I think you give any studio this movie and enough of a budget and the movie's going to be terrible. Sure. I could see it getting beat to hell and turned into some kind of like Cthulhu amalgamation of just like either way too much focus on the traps, which we saw in in uh, in Saul way too much focus on the murder which we saw in hostel or just kind of nothing really going on which we also saw on sauce the movies kept going cube to me i wouldn't change a single thing about it because for what it does is it captures the the tension the suspense the kind of insanity uh there's apparent it's apparently very well known as being part of like the the kafkask Kafkas, like film movement, um, which is That's, whatever you're saying. I know it's not pronounced that. <laughs> hold on, I, I, hold on, let me. I looked it up earlier so I could say it. Kafkaesque, Kafka esque. Like yeah, Kafka esque. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's known as being like like a, a the prime example of Kafka um horror, uh, especially in like the modern day. And I think you would lose that by changing pretty much anything about the movie. Is there anything you would change, Ben? I've been racking my brain trying to think about it. I don't think there really is. Mm-hmm. I if, if there's one thing in hindsight that I would have changed mm-hmm. just to really tie the franchise together, it would have been since Cube Zero, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it asks, like, do you believe in God? I wish, like... They well no because even then that wouldn't work either. There's really it's kind of untouchable. It really is kind of untouchable because you can't change, and, and I guess that's part of it, right? Is the movie so dense that you can't really change any of it without changing the identity of the movie, except for like, you know, I wish this death scene was a bit differently or well, whatever. One of the really interesting things about this movie is that I think the more 
in like the movie feels very dense but it doesn't feel like there are there's any big exposition scenes because the characters yeah, don't know is, anything and i'd it, say the biggest success of this movie mm-hmm. is how it's paced it feels like such a long trudging movie it's a very empathetic movie. You mm-hmm. feel what the characters feel. And that's like hats off to the editing and the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Like when you have those montages of them going from room to room, it feels arduous and yeah. painful and terrible. And Cube, it, it, Hypercube does that a bit. Mm-hmm. And Cube Zero does a bit less. Cube 2021 doesn't do it at all. But th- that to me... I don't know if there's another movie that gets that struggle of traveling for so long. The there's only with such little. There's only only other movie I really. I mean, I can think of a modern example. Well, again, it's they do a lot, which is good. The Safi Brothers movie, Good Time. There's mm. uh, there's a lot happening in that movie, but it and the movie's pretty quick. It's like 95 minutes, but it feels very long. Um, I think a movie kind of, I think a movie like Gaspar Noé's Climax um, kind of touches on that kind of anxiety tension. Like this, this movie is probably why I love anxiety porn movies like Climax. Uh, because what, <laughs> what is there is the anxiety, the tension, the driving kind of, you're trapped in the movie with them. Um, and I think, I think something about the production that really, really uh, heightens that and makes that so much more intense is that the, almost the entire movie was shot on camcorder, uh, on a handheld camera, um, being directly operated by the cinematographer, which gives it the very frenetic, intense space. Um, and one thing that I found very fascinating, Ben, is so you mentioned that the movie feels very long, even though it's not very long. Um, in the film, a, uh, some I can't remember who says it, but they say, an hour is as long as I say. I think Quentin says that. Like, he's like, an hour is as long as I say it is. And that line happens right at the one hour mark of the film. That's awesome. Which makes you, like, very much pay attention to what the, like, time. Like, using time as an element of the movie is, like, a really fascinating way of kind of fucking with people. Yeah, this is one of those movies where everything just sort of came together to make it work. And that's not to take away from anyone, Mm -hmm. but it's just everyone had the right tools at the right place at the right time. Like if, because if pretty much anything about this was different, it would have been another Clive Barker's the plague. Oh yeah. Right. And, and funnily enough, like Clive Barker's the plague, despite not how Mason Burke's the plague, Sony screen gyms give him the movie rights. Um, this, this movie, despite, surviving the editing floor but similar to the plague um was terribly marketed and had and had very bad distribution um and it very i find this hilarious in canada when this movie was released it was a massive flop um three hundred and fifty thousand dollars three hundred fifty thousand dollar budget as i mentioned um but in the united states only made five hundred thousand despite Funnily enough, making about nine million worldwide, and uh, that's that's good. Five hundred thousand is like almost breaking even. Almost, but that's the United States. That's not even its native country of Canada, where it made even less than that. Yikes! But fu- the you want to know the real the real kick in the nuts on this movie? 
What? Um, so not surprisingly to us, can you guess what European country this movie was a huge hit in? Like a huge hit? France. You're damn right. Now, this, now the as Ben and I love French film. It is French a film. very French movie. It's a movie. It has it has flavors of French extremism of that Kafka esque kind of a filmmaking. I, I mean it. I mean it has a lot of French new wave. Yeah, really. Like the like the scenes where everyone's just covered in a deep sweat. That sort of hyper realism. Yeah. Very French new wave. And uh, but what's very fun about that is that you know huge film in France. I think I think either of either you or I could have predicted it would be big in France. Um, when they uh, when when the Canadian producers sold the film rights to be distributed in France, uh, they sold it for a flat initial fee, and didn't get a single cent of no the French way. box office. So the original part of the reason I think I think uh, Vincenzo didn't get the sequel himself is because in Canada, in the native company and. The Canadian film agency actually um, provided digital effects for this movie for free. Um, yeah, the Toronto film industry uh, did all of the special digital effects for free, and then the movie made no money in fr- uh, in Canada. Uh, and they had wow. no idea that it was going to be good. Uh, it was going to make the amount of money it did overseas. Um, now, and this movie did receive mixed reviews um upon release currently it only holds a 64 percent um rating on rotten tomatoes a 6.3 out of 10 and it some like one of the most like easy ways for metacritic they put they put down that cube sometimes struggles with where to take its intriguing premise but gripping pace and an impressive intelligence uh makes it hard to turn away which i think is great but i think for a lot of people who aren't willing to kind of like dig into something like that the movie can lose you. Uh, kind of like Primer. Uh, were you there when we watched Primer, Ben? Which one was Primer? The time travel movie where they go in the box. Yes. That's yeah. a, that's a Primer movie. Primer was great. Yeah, but you have to be paying attention from the beginning of the movie to the end or it's kind of pointless. Primer is a movie that could not be made today. Not at all. Same with Cube, as we saw with the 2021 version of it. I um, mean, I mean... No, because I think the platform is like a spiritual successor to Cube, and that was only a few years ago. Uh, and that's, a few but years that's, old. That's tonally. I don't think you can take the premise of Cube itself, like the like the actual cubes, like trap room cubes. I think I I genuinely think, and I I kind of touched on this last time. I genuinely think Cube inspired a genre. I I know we've had like trapped in a room, like trying to escape, but the the like labyrinth in a trap in a set of traps really is what led us to a, like a bunch of movies we saw like like the human centipede the saw franchise the hostile franchise and a lot of the future torture porn that we got in the united states was kind of like the american extremist wave a lot of it i feel like was inspired by cube i think like this movie always felt like to me like it was like a filmmaker's type of film despite how fucking pretentious that sounds it it really is like a nerdy cult movie that would inspire people to make these bigger ideas um i think what i think only at the time of release really only one person got it right uh which was ann gates from the new york times who wrote cube the story in question proves surprisingly gripping in the best of twilight zone tradition the ensemble cast does an outstanding job of cinematic equivalent uh, of a bare stage 
Everyone has his or her own theory about who is behind the particular imprisonment. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about some of the issues with the script. But that idea alone, I think, is beautiful. You know what I think the best way to do a modern version of Cube is? Like a direct remake of Cube? What? You do it on stage. Could you imagine a stage production of Cube where you only do four... You you have... You only need, like, a couple rooms. You need... You probably only need two... Three cubes. You need one cube on top and two cubes on the bottom and a stage that rotates. Um, kind of like how they hmm. do, like, Sweeney Todd or how they do um, Les Mis where the stage turns to change the set even though it's just yeah, yeah, one yeah. big set. I think you the one of the only ways you'd be able to capture that again is like it is actually on the stage but i don't even think that would be as powerful because what makes like one of the strengths of cube is how you're so in it everything is so tight and so close up if you're looking at it i feel like you'd need to present it differently i feel (laughs) like i think it'd be different uh i i think the ethos of of the production would be different where instead it'd be you are the watchers and yeah. you're watching these people go through this like ants in a maze for your amusement sort yeah. of like uh squid like game. squid game yeah i was gonna say like yeah. like you'd have the you'd have the show open with like the person coming on being like well welcome observers welcome to the uh like human display like you set it up like you are watching an experiment like yeah, you do cube uh, zero, yeah. you do cube zero, but you make the crowd, the two guys. You could even do something where like up in the rafters and like the sound booth or something, you have the guys who are organizing the game and mm-hmm. then somehow like one of them is thrown into it. Yeah. Like runs down and tries to fix something. Yeah. All right. We're fantasy booking at this we're fa- point. Okay. So to get back to the movie, um, it might not have gotten the biggest critical response from the mainstream. Um, but in the award circuit, especially in the independent award circuit, this movie did gangbusters. Um, it won 17 awards total. Um, two of its biggest awards were uh, Best Canadian uh, First Feature at the 1997 uh, Toronto International Film Festival. And the Toronto International Film Festival is still a massive mecca of cinema today. It's my yeah. It's my cinema dream to attend, uh, to go to go to the uh, Toronto International Film Festival in person. That and Sundance and Cannes. Um, but it also won You want to know how obnoxious it is to get hair and makeup organized at the Toronto International Film Festival, Matt? So horrible? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Oof. Um, well, speaking of... It also, it also received not one, not two, not three, not four, but five awards. Uh, five award nominations at the Genie Awards in 1999 after its American release. Um, it was the winner of the Audience Award, the uh, Grand Prize, and the International Critics Award at the Durand Film Festival in 1999 as well, uh, and did and did well across the board. And clearly, in 2022, we're still talking about it. So I think we can say that Cube was a success, and yeah, all and four sides of it were beautiful. And all metrics, haha, there's six sides in a cube. I know. In all metrics, I feel like, this was a success. I agree with what you were saying earlier. I feel like the fact this came out in the late nineties mm-hmm. means that it had slower pacing compared to what we get today. And that is much to its benefit. I don't think we could get that today. I don't think we need more slow movies. 
Okay, you know? well, okay, I don't think we talk about this I, enough. We, I, I'm going to have more slow movies, have you slow s- TV shows. Have you seen The Witch? talking in an office. That's what modern cinema is. So much, so much of like what is like high, like high pace kind of like tense modern horror is all like slow and thought provoking. Like even Midsummer is a slow movie. Hereditary is relatively slow, despite it being gripping. The Witch, um, The Lighthouse, yeah, uh, yeah I guess progressive. I, I guess that's true. We're yeah. in the renaissance of that kind of horror. Yeah. All right. Bad take. Bad take. I'm here to fight, but uh let us know if you agree. Well, well, you just, well, you just compare it to like, like modern, you know, over the line. Cinema. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think the big mainstream yeah. uh, horror of today is remakes that are generally high paced and nothing happens. Like even like even um, like the Halloween remake and some of the other movies that have come out in the last couple of years, like the big you budget even ones. Seen the Halloween remake? Yeah, and it sucked. But you haven't seen it. The I don't, first one was good. The first it's the one, second one. The that's what I'm saying. That's the one that just came. Out. I think the Rob Zombie versions were great as well. I like the Rob Zombie ones, but I thought the first of the remakes was really good. Yeah, and you know, and the '90s themselves though were a very interesting time for horror. Um, looking at some of like we we've seen, I think some of very. It's difficult to put Cube at the top of the pile. Um, I also find, I, I think it's still firmly in the top 10 of 1990s movies. Um, I, I'm going to hit you with some lists, Ben, and you tell me if this, if the movie ranks higher or lower to the cube to you. Okay. You ready? So these yep. are, these are, these are hits from the nineties, uh, horror hits, uh, night of the living dead. Oh, the remake. Yeah. The 1990s night of the living dead. Uh, below cube below. Okay. The frighteners. Um, haven't seen it. Uh, 1999's it. The Tim Curry one? Yeah, the Tim Curry one. 1990, sorry, not 1999. Yeah, it was like 99. Yeah. Uh, I think Cube's better. I, I, it I, was like my favorite horror movie growing same. up. Same. Dude, same. But like... If you're listening... I don't know. We, we, we all watched it back a few years ago, and we, it was just not the same. It's the second half. It really loses its charm when you're not 12. It's not even that. Like, the first half isn't... It, yeah. It's the ultimate... Uh, horror movie for a child. I will say yeah, that true. it's yeah. the ultimate children's horror movie. All right, these these next two, Ben, I think are going to be real challenges to put above Cube. And I think I only put one of them above Cube, but that's because I haven't seen the other one more than once. Army of Darkness, nineteen ninety two, below. Gremlins two, the new batch, below. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now now we need to break out the heavy hitters. Are you ready for this? Okay. Scream. Below. Holy shit! Can't... I was never a big Scream guy. I, I wow. I I. I when I, did I you feel see like it? We, when did you? I feel you like s- if we rewatch Scream, I'd like it a lot more. It's incredible. But it just doesn't have the same hook for me. You know. How big of a slasher fan were when you saw it? Uh, medium. Yeah. Okay. So you got to go back now. We'll go back. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a Redux video where we go through all of the stream. We have like the... thousands of movies at this point. Yep. Um. Have you seen Candyman? Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah I like Candyman. Above or below? Below. Tremors. Oh, Tremors is hard. I yeah. I'm, I'm hit. These are the last. That's like not even really this. That's not the same genre though. Yeah, but I mean, neither is Scream or Candyman. <laughs> Tremors, wow, tremors, tremors is a creature feature. 
tr- it's so different it's hard to compare them because like but i you- both love them but in like different ways if i had to choose one mm-hmm. like if we're watching two, it's a movie night are we watching are we watching um uh, tremors or are we watching cube i if you ask me like which one benefits like film more as an art form i'd say cube which one are you showing to a like so rebecca invites a bunch of friends over and you show her tremors okay sure sure okay so that that to me i think puts it just above cube i think i agree with you cinematic impact now we got we got three movies left here ben that i think or four movies left that i think challenge cube in that same regard and or okay. to cinematic impact. Well, but see, I wouldn't show any of Rebecca's friends cube yeah, under but any you, situation. This is, this is a binary situation. <laughs> okay. All right. Here, here we got. I got four more I'm, for I'm you. I'm just gonna pretend that Rebecca's friends like movies. Yeah. Like the, good movies. The Blair Witch Project. Oh, way below cube. Really? Okay. I think it's cinematically yeah. important, though. All right. Yeah, it is. Oh, but I also think that without it, a movie like that would have come anyway. Good point arachnophobia it's been so long since i've seen arachnophobia it's like hard to judge but i don't think i liked it more than cube i i recently saw it in theaters and i agree but it's a close it's very close to the top now here are these last two these last two i personally would put above cube just out of pure pure cinematic enjoyment and i'm curious where you come on this the first one is the silence of the lambs wow um 1991 I I think Silence of the Lambs I would have to put above Cube. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd put it above Cube. I feel bad because like I like Cube more, but yeah. I think Silence of the Lambs is better. The, yeah, are, uh, difficult to argue that it's better. Now, yeah. now here's one that might be a big argument, but is probably my number one or number two horror film of the entire '90s. Probably my number one or number two film of the '90s. Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. In the year of our Lord, me, 1994. Can I be honest, Matt? I think A New Nightmare was underwhelming. Holy what? I, 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 we've never like said this. Go fuck Uh, yourself. So I like A New Nightmare. I think it fell way short of expectations. What the, what expectations? If you have a movie where Freddy Krueger, Freddy Krueger's Freddy Krueger, like you got to go balls out with it. And I feel like with the way they changed, I feel like with the way they changed Freddy and modulated his voice and I, I feel like it didn't choose a lane. I think think it was like, all right, are we going to be like, silly silly time or are we gonna be like this is legitimately really terrifying and i sort of felt like it goes straight for the really terrifying the whole movie is about like the real world terror of what that would actually do to people i don't think it went far enough Mm. though like i like i feel like if you had a new nightmare done by like the guy who did hereditary yeah sure shit like that'd be the film well, of a lifetime. And they, they tried to do that in 2010 um, with a Nightmare on Elm Street, the the remake, and it sucked. Well, it wouldn't suck. It just wasn't good. Um, it just and, wasn't good. And Freddy was but, a pedophile. But but like a new nightmare. So I 
I, I like it. Like, I don't think it's bad. I, I, but I, New I, Nightmare but is I the... came away from a New Nightmare less satisfied oh, than a lot of the other Kruger do, movies. Do you, do you put Freddy's Dead above a New Nightmare? In terms of quality or enjoyment? Yes. All right, sorry. I, mean, I, like, I liked Freddy's Dead more. Like, I know that's sacrilege... You get a no from the from the organ on that one. I I know that that's sacrilege, but I just after enjoying all the others so much that I felt like I I almost feel like you needed to have someone other than Wes Craven do it. I think that's it. Okay. If you had the guy who directed Candyman, sure, yeah, direct a new nightmare that works. But I don't think you can have a movie about a guy from a Wes Craven movie killing everyone on the Wes Craven movie still done by Wes Craven. I I disagree, but I see your point. Yeah. Like, and once again, this is like, you know, I still think it's like an eight out of 10 movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's incredible, but it's been compared to the nine out of tens, you know, cubes better. Uh, another nineties movie in the mouth of madness the best horror Above movie, Cube. the best horror movie of the 1990s. Yeah. In the Mouth of Madness is the single greatest horror movie ever made. I need to watch it like five or six more times to like fully commit to that statement. But no, I mean, I'm not arguing with you. No one else has handled Lovecraft while making fun of Stephen King as well as John Carpenter did in 1995. It's yeah. Yeah. That, that movie is really like an I dare you to anyone else. Who, yeah wants to try it At, well after we've ne- we've now watched a bunch of um uh, lovecraftian movies like from Stuart gordon um some of the modern ones like the void um and none of them have the tone that in the mouth of madness manages to pull off and i don't know if some of that is just like the fact that it's the 90s and we're used to that vibe mm-hmm. I, I i i think like i, I I feel like the 90s is this weird decade where everything is about to feel way more complex, mm-hmm. but we're not quite there yet. I feel like once you hit 2000, you get to movies like The Matrix, everything Hyper-cube. feels more complicated, whereas the 90s still handles very basic concepts. Yeah. You know, which in many ways is a lot more cinematic. You know, I've talked to David Mamet on here, the art of the uninflected shot. Mm -hmm. You have a person in a situation and they're doing an action. Yeah. I think that's it. And I think outside of movies that like specifically try to ape that style as like proving a point. Well, yeah, that like like the nineties, I feel like the acting in the nineties was a lot more reactive two things i agree now now we have we have delved deep into the 90s horrorscape but let's bring it back with our final reviews of cube now ben in our five stars under 50 tradition what are you giving cube 1997 yeah five this is this is also a five out of five for me as well um I think Vincenzo didn't even need to do a second or a third or have a fourth time. He got it on the first time. His first time was the charm. Yeah, it's... I'm very happy this movie exists. Mm-hmm. This is one of those movies, just like, and it wasn't released, but like how Masonberg's the play. It's like a movie where I'm happy this exists. Mm-hmm. 
because it's just everything we want in a movie. <laughs> yeah, condensed. And the more I watch it, the more I like it. Unlike Cube 2021, where the more I talk about it, the mm-hmm. more I dislike it. Because, I I mean, there's still stuff with Cube where I feel like you could talk about it for hours. Like, yeah. this was a pretty unfocused discussion. But that's because there's so much with Cube that's great. We didn't even touch on the on the soundtrack. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, this and we'll talk about it and compare it when we talk about Hypercube in comparison. But this movie is, as you said, it's a it's a perfect distillation of all of the right elements. It's one of those movies that can only happen once. It can only exist in the finite world that it was able to be created in. Right budget, right production crew perfect casting great cinematography like everything hit one two three four bam um and i think you don't see that i think that that's more far reaching of of an accomplishment back in the 90s than it is today um there are very few other movies that i think really captured that kind of like everything worked um i think a movie that does that really well is a movie like raw raw's an incredible raw and climax are two incredible horror movies that only work because you had the exact right people both making the movie and in the movie. Uh, and if well, it's either of those two it, things it, were it, off, it'd be terrible. I, I think one of the things that's great about this movie is it's very much an auteur film. Yeah. It's, you know, the uh, Vincenzo in an interview, he said that he was heavily inspired by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, it's a, it's and a love. sure, you can see, like, those elements... But because it's on a scale so different from Kubrick and he has to get so creative that it feels wholly its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he, I think and... that's where I think that's where films are really like, wow, that's special is when you have someone who can put their stamp on it and be like, this is mine. This is what I did this is what i want to say yeah it's 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 like it's how we get the john carpenters it's how we get the west cravens the ari asters the roger uh robert eggers like it's how we get these these directors who you look at a film and you know they made it without having to tell you like like when you watch any kubrick film if you watch one flew over the cuckoo's nest or you watch um uh the shining you can tell it's a kubrick movie I don't think did he do one flew over the cuckoo's nest i don't know but we're gonna hope that he did and if you're wrong matt hopefully you get it right when the fourth time's the charm good night and good morning it was directed by Milo foreman follow us on instagram hit us up remember the code Ba-da-ba-boom.